You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I started a series, a two-part series about two baptisms every Christian needs. You heard me talk about water baptism, and some of you have decided to become water baptized, although a few of you are still on the fence. Can I encourage you to push you into the deep end, so to speak, and say, go ahead and take the step and be water baptized. It's a wonderful moment. It's a wonderful declaration of your faith. If you would like to be, there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer, and yes, I will call you and ask you about that. And that's going to happen this month. And I will say this for you, too. For those of you who would like to become members, that is a requirement to become a member. So if you really want to be a member, that would be the next step in your journey of faith with us. So the first baptism of water, and the second is baptism in the Holy Spirit. And in my previous message, I mentioned how we are Protestant, okay? Now, if you don't know what Protestant is, if Protestant, essentially any denomination that is not Catholic would be considered Protestant. But I want to go a little bit further than that. We are not just Protestant, but we are Pentecostal. Now, if you don't know what it means to be Pentecostal, we focus on the idea of the day of Pentecost. Now, if you read Acts chapter 2, which we'll take a look at in the scriptures today, um, there is a day where the, the church is born, where God pours out his spirit, and the church age begins in the world that we're living in. And it starts with a demonstration and the power of God's spirit at work. So being Pentecostal means that we want what we saw in the book of Acts that we read the book of Acts as not being something that's purely historical, but something that is uh, for today as well. There are some denominations that say, you know what, those things were done by the saints and the apostles, and they weren't meant for us to be done today. We disagree with that. We believe that God's gifts, God's spirit, and that God is unchanging. And he didn't just do it to start a church so they could start a boring kind of church. He did it to start a living and active church that would continue to the work of his kingdom and spread the gospel around the world. So we are Pentecostal because we consider ourselves a New Testament church with a focus on the Lord and on the Holy Spirit. Now, Pentecost itself was a feast that took place in Jewish culture. It took place 50 days after Passover. The word Pentecost literally means 50th. So it is a harvest festival. It is a festival that the Jews would come together and they would celebrate all the the fruits of their labor, all of the harvest that was being brought in, all the things that had grown up in their time. They said it's time to bring in the harvest and it's time to celebrate. It's no coincidence that Jesus chose to pour out his Holy Spirit on a festival in which they celebrate the harvest. Didn't Jesus say... Ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest field for the, the uh, uh, works are many, but the labor, the harvest is many, but the laborers are few. And we understand that what Jesus is talking about is that people are ready to receive Christ. But they won't be able to do that unless someone goes and tells them. So why the second baptism? Why the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you three reasons. You can write them down. Okay, three reasons why. And some verses behind it. And the first one is this. Why do you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus indicated it was important. 
Jesus indicated it was important. How many know it's really important to listen to what Jesus has to say? And to not take parts of what he has to say, but to listen to everything he has to say because ultimately he has in mind for us what is good and what is pleasing before the Lord. So if Jesus said that we need this, then that's something that we should probably focus on and probably devote ourselves to as well. I want you to take a look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. If you'll turn with me there. If you don't have your Bible, we have it on the screen behind you. I will say this, though. I encourage you to bring your Bible to different places. I'll encourage you. I'll even go even further and say, you know what? It's great that you have a Bible app, but that's not what you're supposed to use all the time. I would even dare say that don't use your app or your tablet when you're doing your personal devotions and when you're spending time with the Lord. You know why? Because the Candy Crush notifications will come up. Your latest Facebook notification will come up. Your latest political view on Twitter will come up. Unless you disable your notifications while you're trying to seek the Lord and hear from His Word, guess who you're also hearing from? Everything else in this world that says, you know what, time to distract you. You know what else the devil likes to do? He likes to send, have people and prompt frantic texts from people to interrupt your quiet time. Have you ever noticed that whenever you try and sit down and try and get some time alone with the Lord and try and hear his voice, that that's the time that someone decides to have a crisis? Do you think that's at all coincidental? No. It's done that way because he does not want you praying. He doesn't want you seeking the Lord. He doesn't want you spending time in his word. So that's my little plug for just using an old-fashioned Bible when you're doing your devotionals, not because I am an old-fashioned guy, but because I recognize distractions can keep you from spending time with the Lord. It can really rob you of your peace. Are you there with me? Acts chapter 1, verses 4 onward. Listen to what Jesus says. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has put forth in his own authority, but you shall receive what? Power. When what? The Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be really great worshipers? No, you'll be be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. I want you to understand that it's really important here. Jesus didn't give us the baptism of the Holy Spirit so we could be really extravagant worshipers, although that's a wonderful byproduct of that. He didn't just give it to you so you could feel good on a Sunday morning when the, you know, the, the worship is going or when we're praying with each other at the altar. He didn't give it for you that for that reason. His main motivation for giving you the Holy Spirit was that you would have enough courage and boldness to be able to share Jesus with people who don't know him. How many know that that's a scary thing? to share Jesus with people that don't know him. It's scary for me to share it with people that I don't know. I'm not comfortable sharing it with complete strangers. That's not my personality. I kind of ease myself into just about every conversation slowly. Why? That's my personality. I am not an outgoing guy. 
Not in the slightest. So, like, I have to know that you kind of are okay with me before I can go and approach and talk to you. It's not because I think I'm better than you. It's because I'm really worried about what you think about me sometimes. So I can't talk to strangers that way. But sometimes we don't even talk to our friends about Jesus. Why? Because we're afraid of losing them as friends. And how selfish is it of, that, of that is us that we would say, you know, I care more about the friendship that I have with this person than I care about their eternal soul. So we need God's Spirit to give us the sensitivity about when to bring it and what to share so that we can be his witnesses. How many know it takes courage to be a witness for Jesus? And so God gives us the courage through his Holy Spirit. Jesus appeared to, we read in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to 500 of his followers after the resurrection. 500 people were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And he told all of his disciples, he said, listen, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know you want to go and do different things, but wait for this promise from the Father. Can I just tell you today that the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father? How many know that we have a good, good Father, and He's not going to give you something awful? He's not going to give you something scary. He's not going to give you something frightening, but He's going to give you something that's going to be empowering and life-changing and something that you need. That's the way God works in our lives. That's the way he works by his spirit. So he tells 500 of his followers, tarry in Jerusalem and wait for him. And just like, and it really encourages me, by the way, when the scriptures kind of tell you something that you don't right, really notice right off the, the, you know, the bat there. Remember, how many did Jesus appear to when the re- he rose from the dead? How many? 500. Do you know how many were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? 120. Where's the difference there? There's 380 people missing from Jesus' instruction. Which means that some people go, this isn't important, or I'll get it the next time. I, I don't know about you, I want to be one of the, I wanted to overhear the conversation with that 380, and so they said, you know, did you go to the prayer meeting? No, I didn't go to the prayer meeting. Well, what happened? Well, let me tell you what happened. And you miss, talk about missing out on a service. You missed out on a service. Can I encourage you and put a plug in for the Pentecost services we're going to have at the end of May? Don't miss out. Don't say, well, I'll get it next time. You, there, you may not experience that ever in your lifetime. 120 obey the Lord. And amazing things happen because of that. He said, before I'm taken up into the Father, before uh, I go, I want you to know you need to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what I want to challenge you with this thought. Did they know what it was going to look like? No. Did they have any idea how it would come? No. All they knew is that Jesus told them to wait in the upper room for it, and they obeyed him. He indicated they would need it and they should not go anywhere or do anything without it. Personally, I'm of the persuasion that if Jesus says I need something, then I tend to believe him. I don't debate with him. I don't take issue with him. Instead, I take him at his word. Jesus didn't say to them, when you have it all figured out, when you're fully comfortable with how I'm going to come, when you think that you've got a pretty good grasp on your theology and your faith, then go and uh, wait to hear from me. 
wait to receive the promise of the Father. He didn't even say how or when it was going to happen. You know, they were in that upper room for 10 days before they saw the Holy Spirit move. He just told them where to be and what to do and then that they needed to wait. And they had to trust him that he was going to do what he wanted to do in a way that they needed to receive it. Even though they didn't know quite what they were looking for, all they knew is that Jesus told them they should be there. And we need to trust him today as well. When it did come, it was like unlike anything they could have imagined or thought about. Look at Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. It says this, On the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and then there appeared to be on them divided tongues as of fire that sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. While they were praying, while they were waiting, the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the room. Fire appeared above their heads, and they began speaking in a language that they did not know and they had not learned, and instantly they began speaking in a tongue that was not native to them. You know what else they experienced? Joy. Can I just challenge you with that idea today? They experienced joy. How do we know that? Because when people that were in the crowd, in the city, that heard what was going on, they heard all the people that were exclaiming and, and, and proclaiming the goodness of God in different languages. When the crowd heard it, they go, man, that's some party that's going on up there. Man, those folks must be drunk, and they must be completely wasted to be making that much noise up there. What do we hear? We hear joy. We hear exuberance. We hear excitement about what God is doing. And Peter actually had to stop them and say, listen, these folks aren't drunk. It's 9 in the morning. And I know for some people that doesn't matter. They can be drunk at 9 in the morning. There's people that can be drunk at 7 in the morning. I get it. But that many people, 120 people having a party at 9 a.m. On, on that morning, and then they carefully listened to what was being said, and as they were listening to the language just coming out of that upper room, they were hearing them declaring the glories and the wonders of God. Can I challenge you today that one of the reasons why you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit is because you need God's joy in your life. God did not raise you up in church to sit around and be miserable. God did not uh, save you to an existence by which and through which you just go through life just uh, looking at life as though it's drudgery, as looking at through, uh, through life as though it's miserable, and looking at your salvation as uh, you know, this awful thing, and thank God I'm saved as though God is dangling you by a thread over the fires of hell, and you should count yourself fortunate even to be sitting in this room. That's not the kind of salvation God saved you to. God saved you to an exuberant, joyful, wonderful thing when he brought you into the faith. And we need more of that today. I personally, and this is me, not the Lord, I'm so tired of miserable Christians. I'm so tired of negativity. I'm so tired of pessimism. I'm so tired of uh, just things that people say that are just, all they have to talk about is what's negative, what's wrong. They complain about everything. They complain about things that are happening in the world or things that are happening in the church. Listen, God's given us a power by His Spirit to overcome the world we live in. And we need to walk in that. 
I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, most Christians today get anxiety over the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues or the manifestation of the Spirit. It says the crowd that heard the disciples speaking said that they understood what they were saying and heard them declaring the wonders and the works of God. You know, some denominations say that God only did this to start the church and not for today. But we see it happening more than once in the book of Acts. He didn't, this wasn't just a one-off for him. He wasn't like, you know, I'm just going to do this once and watch me show off a little bit and then I'm never going to do this again. But no, we see in Acts 4 when the church was challenged and they were hearing threats about if you preach again in this name, we'll have you beaten and thrown into prison. And they really struggle with that. Do we, do we continue to have an, an outgoing faith? Are we, are we going to be active in, in our uh, declaring of the gospel? Or are we going to sit by the wayside and just not make waves? And they prayed and said when they prayed in Acts 4, it says the place that they were uh, meeting in was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and went out and spoke the word boldly. We need boldness today in the world that we live in. I got news for you today, if you haven't already picked up on it. This world doesn't like Christians very much. Maybe you've experienced that firsthand. They don't like Christians, and some Christians don't like Pentecostal Christians even more. All right, Because you're just too excited about things. You need to calm down. Stop raising your hands. We're only going to sing hymns. We're only going to be here for 45 minutes, and then you leave. They say, that actually sounds pretty good. I wish we could get out of here in 45 minutes. That'd be great. I got things to do. I got yard work to do. It's raining today. You're not doing anything. I got you. I got you. No, hear me in love here today. Listen, God saved us and, and brought us to a place. He didn't start the church to, to be able to create a boring church. He didn't start the church so that we could be a powerless church. He didn't start it so that, like, hey, I just wanted to, to show my miraculous power at work within the church that I created, but, like, I'm never going to do that again because that was only through 12 men, which is, by the way, inaccurate. If you read through the entire book of Acts, there was not just 12 people that were empowered to do great things. We see God doing great things through men like Agabus, who was considered a prophet. We see Barnabas doing great things. We see Philip, who was a deacon. Praise God for spirit-filled deacons who are healing the sick and preaching to people, and appearing in whirlwinds, and disappearing as they minister the gospel. How awesome is that? So there's more than just a few people doing this work here. This was, and it was always meant to be, a gift that God gave to every person who's a believer in Jesus Christ, so that they can make a difference in their world. And I believe that that's true today. Whether it's Acts 4, where the church was stirred up to go out boldly, or Acts 8, when the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit, or Acts 10, where Cornelius, a Gentile and Roman centurion, while Paul was preaching, they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit, a Gentile, uh, someone that, that Peter didn't even want to go in the house for, and God pours out his Spirit upon them. Some, say that these denom- some denominations say that this sort of thing was just for the apostles and stopped when they were all dead. But in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he indicated this would be something for every generation and all whom the Lord would call. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39 says this. Yeah, verse 38, 39. It says, Then Peter said to them, 
Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and all your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. It wasn't just for the apostles. It wasn't just for that day. It was for everyone whom the Lord will call and everyone who is redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first reason why we need the baptism is, number one, is because the Lord says we need it. He says it's important. Number two, because it's a second work of grace separate from salvation. It is a second work of grace separate from salvation. How do we know that to be true? Well, understand this. When we uh, receive salvation by faith in Christ, the Scriptures tell us we receive the Holy Spirit. We hear that in Ephesians 8, 9, and Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. But the word baptized means to immerse fully. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit means to be fully immersed in God's power. Just as when you receive salvation, you fully don't fully understand the depths of it. Listen, think about it this way. When you receive salvation, when you first receive it, you know it's the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. When you're first coming to faith. That's all you know. But how many know it's more than that? It's forgiveness. It's, an, it's God answering prayer, hearing you when you pray to him. It's God working out your character and bringing about the fruits of the Spirit at work within you. It's about changing who you are. It's not just that you're forgiven and you're going to heaven. That's a wonderful thing. That's the main thing. But salvation is just so much more than that. And God is revealing more and more about himself each time you pray and each time you read his word. You learn a new aspect of who he is. You have a new appreciation for who Jesus is as you grow in your salvation. But how many know there's more to it? There's more than that, than just that one piece of it. So when we receive the Holy Spirit of salvation, we don't fully realize everything we've received. He has so much more for you in his Holy Spirit. He wants to give you the gifts of the Spirit, leading you by his Spirit. You know, a, a Christian can go in their entire life without seeing these added benefits that God freely gives to those who follow him. That's why we call ourselves a full gospel church. We believe in salvation, but we also believe in God's power to use us just as he used the believers in the book of Acts. Uh, let me give you some examples of how the spirit baptism and baptism in the spirit is a work distinctly and differently from salvation. Listen, the disciples already believed in Jesus and were saved, yet Jesus told them to wait for the baptism of the Spirit in Jerusalem. And it was something distinctly different from salvation. Uh, look at uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 20. We see that Philip is sent to Samaria. Many people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. But we see that the apostles saw there needs to be something more than just this. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, now when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed to them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hold on right there. So what does that tell you? Some people will take this passage and they'll say, see, they needed Peter and John to come and preach the gospel to them because they only had John's baptism. 
But what does it say there? It says that they had already received baptism in the name of Jesus. What baptism is that? It's the water baptism we talked about you know, a couple weeks back. When are you water baptized? Only after you've made a profession of faith. They would never baptize someone in water who had never made a profession of faith first. So we're seeing that salvation's already taken place in their life. They've already been baptized in water. So why are Peter and John coming? They see more that needs to be done here. Verse 17 says, Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon, a sorcerer, saw them, that through the laying on of hands, the apostles' uh, hands, that the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone that I lay my hands on might receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. What do we see there? We see the, the Samaritans believe the message of uh, Philip. They are baptized in water after profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter and John come down. They lay their hands on people, and they say, Receive the Holy Spirit. And Simon the sorcerer, who had just recently been converted to Christianity, sees something that he notices. And he says, Something happened in these Samaritan believers. And because he was a sorcerer, he knew different tricks. He knew divination, different things. He thought that now that he is a Christian, he too can acquire this skill of being able to, be, to pay them to learn how to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that Simon, the sorcerer, saw something happen to these believers. And he says, I need to get that. How do I get that skill? How do I get that power? And Peter says, you can't buy this power. This, your money perishes with you. So we see something has happened, something visibly happened, more than just salvation, more than just something that might be purely ceremonial, but a change takes place in these individuals. Something about the baptism of the Holy Spirit was something that could be witnessed visually and vocally by those that were watching. Another example in Acts 19, verses 1 through 7, Paul, the apostle, came to Ephesus and preached Jesus to those who were there. The Ephesians then believed on Jesus and were baptized in water in the name of Jesus. Then separate from that, Paul lays his hands on them and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in tongues and in prophesying. Acts 19, 1 through 7. Are you still with me? Are you still with your very caffeinated pastor right now? I don't know if it's caffeine or the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people can get the two mixed up. Some enjoy it, some don't. If you don't enjoy it, that's fine. I get it. But here it is, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. It says, As it happened when Apollos was at Corinth, that the apostle Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, We have not even so much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So what are we looking at here? These are disciples of John the Baptist. These are people that were baptized into forgiveness. Okay? The forgiveness of sins. They were not baptized into the name of Jesus. Verse 4. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, and some people stop there. But verse 6 says, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, 
and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. That's something different, isn't it? That's not saying to them, it's like, listen, well, you know, Paul's talking about preaching the gospel, they believe, and then, you know, he's sharing the gospel with them, and they're believing, and they're baptized in water. We see that he already did that, and now he's laying hands on them, and by the laying on of the apostles' hands, do you see, like, a trend here? Do you see a consistent method that's happening here? By the laying on of the apostles' hands, it says that they spoke in another language, and they prophesied. They declared the good works of God. So we see it's another distinct and separate work. So it appears that this baptism of the Spirit is a work separate from salvation, given to empower the believer for service to God. Now, why do you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The third and final reason, as I mentioned before, uh, why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus said, number one, it's important. Number two, it's a second and distinct work separate from salvation. If you're saved and been baptized in water, great. But that's not the whole story. And, and hear me when I say this today, okay? You can be a very good Christian without this. It's not saying that you can't be, okay? You can love and serve God. There are many people who are not Pentecostal, and they, they are wonderful believers. They, they follow the Lord. They're faithful in church. Their families are good. They, they, they love the Word of God. They know the Word of God. And... So you can be a perfectly good Christian without this. But there's a side to and a depth to God's Spirit that you're missing out on. That when you experience it, it's unlike anything that you've ever experienced. It's one thing to to walk with the Lord. It's another thing to have a burning desire for other people to know Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do. Because He'll work in you in such a way. Remember why Jesus gave it. Acts 1.8. So that you will be my witnesses. Everywhere that you go. In your Jerusalem, in your Judea, in your Samaria, in the othermost parts of the world. That's why he gave it to you. Not so that you could be, you know, feel good and feel tingly just because you come to church. Those things happen. Those are wonderful things. But he gave you that power not just for you to hold on to yourself. You can demonstrate that God's grace, his love, his power at work to everyone else. The third reason, the final reason why you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because it brings a new level of God's power into your life. It brings a new level of God's power into your life. The disciples before the day of Pentecost, I want you to remember what they were like. Do you remember what the 12 disciples were like? Do you remember what they were like when Jesus was crucified? Were they out there preaching the injustices of Jesus going to the cross? Even after the resurrection. Remember, Jesus appeared to his disciples over the course of 40 days. It's not as though he didn't do anything during that time. He was meeting with people. He was teaching them. There are things that we don't know about, but he appeared to them for 40 days before telling them the way in Jerusalem for that 50th week, that 50th day in which God would pour out his spirit. So he appeared to them. We don't see them going out. We don't see them evangelizing. We don't see them reaching out. In fact, many of them were afraid of being imprisoned, beaten, and put to death for being a Christian. Now you fast forward to the day of Pentecost. They're waiting in the upper room. The uh, day of Pentecost comes, and uh, you know God 
pours out his spirit upon all of them. They are emboldened. They're filled with joy. They're speaking in other languages, declaring the, the wonders of God. And, you know, so people start making fun of them. And uh, there starts to be opposition as well. And who gets up? The guy who denied Jesus three times, Peter. And he gets up. And he preaches to thousands of people. Not just preaches to thousands of people. He said, you put Jesus on the cross. Repent today. That's kind of bold. That's kind of, like if you want to get yourself in trouble in a hurry, that seemed like a really good way to do it. Why did he do that? Why, what was the change that took place in them? The change that took place in them is God gave them boldness by the Holy Spirit. I hope you understand what I'm saying today. So many people focus on the, the, the whole idea of tongues as the Holy Spirit. And that's what frightens so many people and keeps them from you know, engaging in, in seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that's not the whole point of that. The whole point of that is that God would give you a boldness that is outside of yourself, that is uncharacteristic to yourself. I want you to know something today. I was a shy kid growing up. That's my mom, by the way, okay? <laughs> she knows. I was a shy kid growing up. And then God got a hold of my life. He baptized me in the Holy Spirit, and he called me to ministry. And I was absolutely terrified of that. I did not want to do that. Because I was shy. I was someone that was quiet. I was someone that didn't often raise my voice. I was someone that didn't express my opinions. I was more than happy to, to fade into the background more often than not. But when God baptized me in the Holy Spirit, when he put a call on my life, there was something within me that would not let me be silent anymore. There was something within me that gave me a strong desire to see friends that I knew, schoolmates that I went to school with. My desire was that they would know who God was and that they would experience his life-changing and saving power. Something was different within me that didn't happen before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It totally changed my life, and it totally changed the life of the disciples as well. They went from being people who were afraid to make waves, to be, they were afraid to uh, upset the apple cart, afraid of being arrested, afraid of being beaten or put in prison. And they went from that to like, if you read the next few chapters of the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost, it says they healed a man that was lame outside of the temple. And it says that the religious leaders brought them in. They said, don't talk in the name of Jesus anymore. They said, we won't, you know, we cannot choose to listen to you over God. And they took the both of them and they beat them. And back then, you would, uh, one of the punishments that was among the Jews, we, we've heard of the, the lashes that Jesus endured. They wouldn't flog them with a whip, but they would hit them with a rod, like a, a thin rod across their back 39 times. Not 40, because 40 was too cruel, of course. But 39 you could do. And it says that the disciples left that experience after having been beaten. Peter and John left with their backs like ripped open and, and welts across it. And then they go, we're never doing that again. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy for suffering for the cause of Christ. Are you cracked? Are you out of your mind? Like what would make you do that? And what would make you go, you know what? I was disciplined, I was beaten, I was threatened with prison and death. I'm going to go out and do that again tomorrow. What motivates a person to do that? Not our spirit, right? 
Not my spirit. My spirit goes, self-preservation is my spirit. My, my sinful nature, my flesh is like, I don't want any pro- part of problems, discomfort, difficulty. I don't want any part of that. But the Spirit of God says, go out and do it again. Go out and do it again. Why? Because there's people that need to know about Jesus. And they went out and did it again. And they got themselves into more trouble. And Peter gets thrown into prison. They lock him up. They put him in shackles. And while everyone's sleeping, an angel comes and kicks his side and says, come on, get up, we're leaving. And leads them out of there. They just could not stop these men. Not just because God's divine presence with, with them. Not because he was just sending angels to help them. But because God put a burning desire in them to see greater things happen. And to see God move in people's lives. Don't you want to see God move in people's lives? Don't you want to see God move in your own life? You know, there's times where we're dry, there's times that we're frustrated, there's times that we feel like giving up. I want to encourage you today as someone who's been through dry seasons, as someone who's been through valley moments, as someone who's been to the mountaintops of feeling close to God and then been in the the valleys of despair. I want you to know something. If you feel like you're far from God, if you feel like you're dry, I want you to know it's just as easy as going back to the well and drawing from his water, not from your own. Part of the reason why you're dry, and hear me today when I say it, is because your well is dry. You're drawing from the wrong places. But if you draw from his well, you'll never thirst again. If you draw from his well, you'll never be empty again. We've got to stop drawing from ourselves and our own strength. Listen, you've worked hard. You've served others. You've helped people selflessly. You've given of yourself. You've given of all that you have. You've tried your best to change and help people. And all they keep doing is going back to the same thing over and over and over again. You're trying to help people. You're doing your best. But you're tired. You're exhausted. You feel like you can't go on anymore. I'm telling you today, you've done this in your own strength for too long. There is a power that's available to you. It's the power of God's Spirit that's greater than discouragement, that's greater than frustration, that's greater than depression. But we've got to tap into that power if we ever hope to survive. Hallelujah. What are the benefits of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, a deeper commitment to God. You won't want to miss church if the Spirit of God's at work within you. You won't. You won't be challenged by things. You'll want to be committed to God because he'll light a fire within you. So one of the benefits is, number one, a deeper commitment to God. Number two, a deeper understanding of his word. Listen, maybe you're a believer here that you've been saved and and you're trying to follow Jesus, but the word is as confusing as all get out to you. You don't get much out of it. You feel like you're reading the word, but nothing's happening. Can I challenge you with the the idea and the concept of asking the author of the scriptures to show you what he meant? 2 Peter 1, 21 said, the Holy Spirit was the one that inspired the scriptures. Don't you think if you want to know the deeper meaning of the scriptures, you should ask the one who inspired it? I can tell you, for a fact that as I've seen people, as I've I've been through 25 years of ministry, I've seen people that have come to Christ, and I've seen people that, a marked difference from someone who just is saved and someone who's baptized in the Holy Spirit. Someone who's baptized in the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden things start to make sense for them. Things start to, 
They start to understand things a little bit more. They start pulling out deeper insights from the Scripture. Why? Because now they are asking the author for its meaning and understanding the deeper meanings of Scripture. Remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He said that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will be your comforter, He will be your helper, He will be your teacher. He's there to help you with all of those things. But the Holy Spirit, all too often, is the forgotten third person of the Trinity in many churches. The only time His name is ever mentioned is in a benediction. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And that's the only time you'll ever hear of him. But Jesus said, I have to go so that he can come. So if we're missing that, we're leaving out a very important person of the Trinity from an active daily role in our lives. That's all I'm really challenging us to do today, is that we would ha- let him have an active role in our daily lives. So one, a deeper commitment to God. Two, a deeper understanding of his word. Three, a deeper conviction of right and wrong. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. I can tell you that as God's spirit has worked on people who have gotten saved, as his Holy Spirit's been at work within them, I haven't even had to tell them that they need to change. I didn't tell them, hey, you should probably start swearing like a, a sailor. And stop doing that. And all of a sudden, they just, they just stop doing it. You just recognize that they're not doing it anymore. They stop, you know, gambling on Friday nights. They stop drinking to excess. They stop, uh, you know, doing things that they shouldn't do. They, they would get themselves out of trouble. And you're like, well, what happened there? I didn't tell you you needed to do that. You know who told them? Someone that's a higher authority, someone that's kind of like one row up, well, several rows up. You know, you're talking about like, the organizational chart, I'm really low on God's organizational chart. Sometimes you've got to take it up a few levels, right? And take it up. To, my supervisor says, you should stop doing these things. And how many know his, his opinion and his feelings on it carry a lot more weight than just my opinion on what you should do with your life and your character? Now, don't get me wrong. You should still listen to your pastor when he gives you some counsel. But I've been amazed when God, by his spirit, gives a person a deep sense of right and wrong. They go, I I shouldn't do that anymore because the Spirit of God within me says, don't do that. You don't need that. Number four, a greater sensitivity to God's leading. Most of us can walk through our life and never think to ourselves, God, what do you want to do today? Who do you want to reach? Who do you want to minister to? Who do you want to, to know about your love, to know about your grace, to know about your forgiveness? Most of us walk through life without even giving that a second thought. But when you're in tune with God's spirit, when his spirit is at work within you, when you've opened yourself up to that possibility, and that's all I'm talking about with the baptism spirit, you're saying, God, I don't just want a part. I don't just want the salvation part. I want to be fully immersed in all that you are and all that you have for me. And so that your whole mindset can be focused and changed just by the leading of the Spirit. That just in one day you just feel like to yourself, I need to call this good friend of mine that I haven't talked to in five years. And it's not just a passing thought. Are you hearing me, church? Gosh, I get so aggressive when I'm fired up. Man. Do I need to sit down somewhere? I feel like I'm coming on way too strong. 
young people, am I okay? Am I doing all right? Can, am I just too much? I only have one way to preach, even though I've tried different ways. I've tried to be clever. I've tried to be smarter. God knows I've tried to be smarter. I try not to yell as much. But you know, there's times where I just, this is a shy kid from Worcester, okay? God decided this is the way I want to talk through you. <laughs> and so this is the way it is, for better or worse, you know? Being led by the Spirit means that, you know, God, you have a greater sensitivity to God's leading so that when God puts on your mind or your heart to, to reach out to somebody, you just say, wow, I just, I can't, I can't shake the thought that I need to talk to him. I need to talk to him right now. And now that I need to talk to him, I feel like there's a verse that God wants me to encourage them with or there's a prayer he wants me to pray. Can I tell you, when you're led by the Spirit in that way, don't ignore it. God is giving you a, uh, an emergency signal for that person. That person absolutely and desperately needs a word from heaven. And guess who's the one that God chose to deliver it? You. Chose you to deliver it. And you're like, well, it's been five years. I haven't talked to him in a long time. I don't know what they'll say. I guarantee you they'll be glad to hear from you. And I guarantee you that what you have to say will resonate with them. There's been numerous times I've talked to, you know, people that I went to Bible college with 20 years ago that I had to reach out and try and find their number because God put on my heart so impressively that I needed to reach out to them. And I reached out to them, and they, I was exactly what they needed. I was what they needed to hear, not because it was me, but because God wanted to get their attention, and it just changed them. Like, if for... <laughs> Like, I'm talking like it changed their mindset, it changed their point of view, it changed even the, the course of their life from that point forward. Where they were going was a path of destruction, and God turned them around, put them on the right path. Or they had lost all hope and faith for God to do anything through them once more, and in that moment, in that moment... God uses you or me to say, listen, God was thinking about you. Yes, I was thinking about you, but I, I realize now that God was thinking about you, and this is why I'm talking to you today. It's greater sensitivity to God's leading. Number five, a greater power in prayer. Romans 8, 25 and 26 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness to pray. When we don't know what to pray, it says the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with a groaning that cannot be uttered. Have you ever been so down? Gosh, I am talking for such a long time. <laughs> Have you ever been so down that like, you don't know what to pray? You ever been so broken that you don't know what to pray? It says the Holy Spirit helps us to find the words. Helps us in our weakness so that we with and makes intercession for us and through us. And when we pray, God hears and he changes everything. There's a depth to our prayer. There's a greater power that when we pray, we know not only what to pray, but God begins to show us what to pray, how to pray, who to pray for, what's behind what they're going through. And as a result, our prayers move mountains. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we receive more tools to uh, pray in a greater power. Number six, a boldness to witness to others about Jesus. I mentioned this already. 
But God wants you to have boldness. He doesn't want you to be a fearful Christian. Number seven, access to the gifts of the Holy Spirit to encourage and edify the church. I relay it this way. Most of us have a TV at home that we only know how to turn on, turn off, change the channels, and raise the volume, right? Until like one of your kids comes along and shows you how to download the smart app onto that TV and how to log in. And, oh, you didn't realize it, but your remote control, you can speak to it, and it will find exactly what channel and what you know, show that you're looking for. And what's your reaction when someone comes and do, does that for you? First of all, you're massively embarrassed that you know, an eight-year-old showed you how to use your TV to a greater degree. But even more so than that, you look at it and you go, I didn't realize it can do that. I didn't realize that was all in that. And can I tell you today that the same Spirit that saved you, the same Holy Spirit that dwells within you, it's the same God, it's the same Holy Spirit. You just have not unlocked all that He has for you yet. Do you know that He wants to use you to pray for people and to see them get better? Yes, He does that. Do you know that He wants you to, to you know, be led by the Spirit, that there'll be times that you'll be praying for somebody, and you've been here, haven't you? You've been at this altar, and I've prayed for you, right? Or other people have prayed for you, and I, or the person that's praying for you knows things that only you know. It's be, is it because I've got Google spying on you? Is it because I've bugged your phone? How do I know? No, it's because the Spirit of God showed that to me, and they're like, how do you know that? Who told you that? God told me that. I didn't realize he was telling me. I'm just praying for you. I go, I got to focus on this. I got to pray for that. Let me talk about this. And let me encourage you in that. And you know what that is? That's a word of knowledge that only God would have known. But he makes it available to you to be able to pray for that. And that's available to every person in this room. Not just because I have three little letters and a period in front of my name. Reverend Dan Valeri. It's not just available to me just because I'm the pastor of this church. It's available to everyone seated in this room. And oh, that you would. Oh, that you'd be used in that way. How exciting that would be. Or that you'd be able to pray for someone. And then as you're praying for you don't really just simply recognize that you're, uh, you're pulling out things that only God would know and only they know. But you begin to pray things over them for their future that will indeed come to pass. You know what that is? That's the spirit of prophecy. God begins to use you to declare things over the world. And oddly enough, they're like, well, you prayed that, and then it happened. It's like, yeah. Why? Because God was telling you he's working on that, and he's going to have that happen. So God wants to unlock all of these things in your life. And hear me today, church. Listen, you can, if you're not comfortable with any of that, that's fine. You can be a really great Christian here. You can't. And you could be just fine with, you know, your whatever level of involvement you, you want with God. But I'd be remiss as your pastor to tell you that that's all there is. That we just kind of go along, keep going to church, and, you know, you're encouraged, you're discouraged. You're going to up and you're down. I'll go to Bible study, maybe I won't go to Bible study. I'll go to church, maybe I won't go to church. You know, pastor messed up on the song this morning. Like, I figured, you know, I knew I shouldn't have come back this Sunday. I should have been on a different Sunday. It's not the kind of church he saved us for. I'd be remiss as your pastor to tell you that that's all there is. It'd be wrong of me to stand behind this pulpit and to tell you that's it. 
And what a pathetic, terrible, awful existence that would be. I know that sounds extreme, but there's so much more. The only reason why Christianity spread across, across the globe is because people empowered and baptized by the Holy Spirit said, I don't care what happens to me, it's just Jesus. I don't care if my family disowns me, I'm going to live for him. I don't care if society shuns me, I'm going to follow Jesus. And the only way you'll ever see that take place in your world is if you tap into all of God's spirit for you. So how do I receive it? First of all, your heart needs to be right. You have to ask God for his forgiveness. Say, God, forgive me. Let nothing get in the way of your spirit at work in my life. If you haven't accepted Jesus as Savior, that's the very first step. You accept him as Savior. The second part is you, you have a desire to be filled. In other words, you don't just simply go, oh, I, I hope it doesn't fill me. That sounds like that would be weird. You've got to come and just be like, I want, God, I want that Holy Spirit. I know I have it, but I want more of that Holy Spirit at work within me. Use me to a greater degree. Ask for it in faith. God, I know that you promised it. You wouldn't promise it unless I needed it, so I'm going to ask you for it. Then pray to receive it and believe that you will. Amen? Let's take some time to do that this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We praise you, God. We praise you, God. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. Father, awaken us to the reality of your spirit. Not a denomination, not a facet of a denomination, but Lord, that we would be fully immersed in all that you are. You gave us, Lord, the Holy Spirit to work when you were taken up into heaven. Lord, we should let him work. Let him move. Let him do what you want to do. God, help us to remember that, Lord, the disciples were just obedient. They didn't know what was going to happen. They had no clue what you were going to do. But they said, whatever you have for me, God, that's what I'll do. And God did what was completely unexpected on the day of Pentecost. Help us to not have any hesitations or reservations. Forgive us for being embarrassed of you, God. Forgive us for saying, oh, not today, not now, none of that stuff. But Lord, I pray today, God, you'd help us not to be embarrassed of you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place. Have your way in our hearts and lives. And God, we just pray that you would pour out your spirit in its fullness on those who would desire to receive so God, meet with us today as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.